0: No matter where your business is today, or where you want to take it, you'll get there faster and more profitably with an operating system. Welcome to Team OS, your guide to starting, growing, and optimizing a real estate team. Here's your host, Ethan Butte. For insights into starting, growing, and optimizing a real estate team, we're talking with Gary Ashton. A couple of fun facts before we get started. His team is the number one REMAX team in Nashville, in Tennessee, in Tennessee in the United States, and in the world. In and the
1: world.
0: In Sorry. the entire world. So <laughs> we'll get into like that, a little bit of that arc. Um, and like Phil Taylor of the band Motorhead, Tom Sonny Green of the band Alt-J, and Nick Hodgson, founding member of the band Kaiser Chiefs Gary, is a drummer from Leeds in West Yorkshire, England. Thank I you not so know about much. the other two. That was awesome. Yeah, good. Thanks for talking to today, Gary.
1: Yeah, nice to be here.
0: Uh, which one was the surprise? Did you know Phil Taylor? Was that the one you were familiar with? I didn't know he
1: was from Leeds. Is he from, yeah. Phil Taylor's from Leeds?
0: Yeah, that's that's what the internet tells me, Gary. I did some work here.
1: That was impressive. I know Kaz Chiefs are from Leeds, but I didn't know Phil Taylor. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, there awesome. you go. Um, so, Gary, the opening question that I'm asking everyone yeah. is, uh, is to have you name a must-have characteristic of a high-performing team. Uh, what comes to mind with that for you?
1: The characteristic of the leader or the or the members?
0: Either or both.
1: Uh, leaders, I I kind of feel like they have to be not risk averse, but you've got to have a high tolerance for risk and be forward-thinking, early adoption. Um, I like shiny objects, which is good and bad because some of those shiny objects have been beneficial and some have been a bit of a time waste, but it's almost like it's a... Not really a numbers game but you your intuition tells you this should be good and we need to be the first one to market we need to be the early adopters that sets us apart um and so like i said sometimes that that leads to you failing but most of the time it's it's done well for me you know status keeping ahead of the market so i would say yes you have to have uh, so so in the team, uh, I think they have this setup now that the the team leader or the the one that's kind of leading the way is usually not good at following up, not good at paperwork, not good at structure. So they appeal to their ego and call them a visionary. So I am a visionary, which means I'm terrible at all the other things essentially. So you know, I've got Deborah. The, that really kind of runs everything behind the show we work together she brings me in on some questions but um, yeah she likes she likes me likes to call me the visionary like so I said it appeals to my ego I go, ah, I'm a visionary so
0: that's my value here yeah
1: so that's where you got to be you have to be you got to have some vision so I say this every time every, when I do a podcast but it's really luck vision and money that's what you need you need some luck to be in the to be able to do things be in the right place right time you need some vision to act on that luck and then you also need some money uh, yeah luck vision and money yeah money Love is, it. money is and then hopefully the luck and the vision help you create more money then you reinvest it back in it. so it's like a a vicious circle as it were but you need some levels of those luck vision and money That's what I
0: think. Yeah. Love it. Let's talk a little bit more about that, that, um, you know, tolerance for risk scenario, because it fits in this kind of forward momentum scenario. Um, Have you found over time that you just have to keep making bets based on your intuition or does your um, does having more money allow you to to place bigger bets or does um, does your intuition get better and better as you kind of continue to, to, to make your best guesses and, and take some swings at some opportunities to stay out in front. Like, are you getting better over time or do you just have the privilege of being able to afford to make more and in different investments and some of them work out well, some of them don't? Uh, you know?
1: The cop-out answer is yes to all of the above because the longer that you're in it, the more that you hopefully have the potential to see some holes in the market or see a process that, that oh, for years how come we haven't done this how come you haven't done this all of a sudden the new product comes on you go that's it that's, that just fits in and we'll boom we'll go ahead and do that so um, and then some of it uh, yeah you just speculate and you go that would be fantastic how come nobody's ever thought of that before so you have to assume that if you like it there's probably going to be more people that like it so you have to be the one that jumps in first to get you know market advantage or first to market kind of thing um so uh, yeah and then having the money sometimes that you've got because you've invested in these other things these other peripherals that have allowed you to gain market share allowed you to have more profitability so that allows you then maybe to go to Vegas with a little bit more money to gamble on red or black and sometimes you lose and sometimes you win so that's why I said yeah I think all of those scenarios that you mentioned is a yes. <laughs> the cop
0: yeah. Um, so in general, I think um, a lot of folks like to see someone else step out and take the initial risk. And so you're just, you've just been willing to do that your entire real estate career. Cause I feel like a lot of people are waiting for like one or two or three people to prove something out. And, or there's the hype cycle that pulls people into the shiny object zone, but I feel like your willingness to do this, even among, um, your just generally say peers, um, you know, other folks leading, you know, significant sized, uh, real estate operations, a lot of people still sit and wait for one or two or three or four people to prove the case out before they're willing to take that step, um, a would you observe that that's true and b have you always had this approach to um the way that you're going to market
1: um i believe that to be true because i sometimes are the one the person that's sitting back you know i've got a lot of friends who've got teams and there they have a different vision and then they to them it's obvious to me it's like eh, i don't know and then a perfect example um Chris Lindell, I think you know Chris Lindell up in Minneapolis. So we had a mutual friend who was doing billboards. Chris said, I'm going to do billboards. I'm going to jump in all on billboards. And I was like, eh, that's that's a lot of money. Let, let's, good luck with that. Let's see how you do. Then Chris reports back, guys, you got to do billboards. you got to invest. you got to, you got to go all in on billboards. And so I was like, eh. And then my other buddy, Justin Haver up in Calgary goes, all right, I'm in. Justin all in on billboards and then those two are both going back to me going Gary you got to do billboards it's moving the needle you got to invest so I eh, okay and then I was um, market forces forced me to do it and then I jump on billboards and then oh they were right so they were the ones they were the early adopters in this case and I was the one that was sitting back and waiting for confirmation. And then, now I can tell you, billboards is a good way. But you have to have the money. You can't, just if anybody's listening out there, you can't just do one billboard. You have to go all in. I started off with 50. You've got to make a, a splash. And you also have to have a commitment to do it for not just a week, not just a month. I did. I committed to a year to the billboard companies and said, you know, let's start here. So now we're up to 100 or something like that. So. It, it definitely works. And then in in terms of the marketing, just in case anyone is interested in that is, you know, I, I don't think you really start with that because I've been doing SEO for a long time, I've been doing radio for four or five years. Um, I've been doing sports marketing with the Titans. Uh, we do it now with the uh, Predators, that's the NHL team locally. So we have a, a brand awareness. We've developed this brand equity within Nashville. so having the billboards is almost like uh you know gary v's jab 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 right hook where does the right hook come from so now it's there's all these these forces that are promoting me and then i think the billboard was the one that gave it that little lift that really was the jab 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 and then whoa here comes the billboards bang it's it's almost like it's almost like it's social proof i kind of equate it to a a monstrous backlink if you're talking about SEO, because with radio, you can turn that off. Internet, you can turn that off. But if you're driving along the interstate and you see a billboard, uh, a stationary one, not one of the that's not the electronic ones, but you can't turn that off. So you see it every day. And then, again, it's not instant success, but it, it reinforces that perception that you've built up in the market over the years. and. You may be driving to work for five years and all of a sudden thinking about cell mass. And then, oh, there he is, Gary. Oh, he's on the radio. Oh, let me look for, oh, he's on the, I'm going to call this guy. He's been around for a while, so.
0: Yeah, it does all seem mutually reinforcing. I was actually going to bring this kind of topic up of, you know, television, radio, Outdoor, um, mm-hmm. you know, NFL, NHL. Like, what do you think is the threshold? Like, there's someone listening that that is maybe on the verge where these spends make sense, but there are probably a bunch of people listening where that spend doesn't quite make sense yet. I also agree with you, by the way, just separate aside that the outdoor just ties it all together. Like, you know, you're creating all these impressions at different places, but the outdoor, because of its ever presence in the local market, ties it all together, I agree with you on that. But like, what, what do you think is the threshold? Like, who would you say, hey, you should maybe start thinking about this? And who would you say, nah, you're, you're X amount of time oh, or X amount of size away?
1: I don't know, though. there's a lot of talk about teams and when to start a team. And to me, the only time you do, you have a team is when you have too much business for yourself. So I always equate it to, um, I've got a couple of analogies, but I'll use the tennis ball machine first. Like when I was first starting in real estate, I was generating leads and I was one of the first ones to do pay-per-click. I was just just timing, right? I was an early adopter because that just started. When I started doing pay-per-click, there's probably two or three people there. And what I'm talking about there, pay-per-click, is When you go to Google, you search for natural real estate. You've got the paid ads at the top. That's the pay-per-click. And then below that, you've got the organic results. So when I first started out, I didn't have anything in the organics. So I was doing pay-per-click and I think I was spending five, 10 bucks a day. And that was generating me one lead. Two leads. So if it was a tennis ball machine, it was just on slow. It was just like, whoa, I can catch that. Oh, Mr. Lead, let me talk to you. Let me give you all my real estate knowledge. Let's develop a good relationship. Let's go on. And then three hours later, another one. So then I could, you know, one or two leads a day, three leads maybe at the most. And I could, I as an agent could physically handle that. And then I invested in Nashville.com. They were trying to figure out who was the guy that um, that understood the value of internet leads because Nashville.com is a geo domain. And back in 2006 or 7, it was ranking for absolutely everything. This is before Google changed their algorithm. So at that point, it went from, and they gave me leads to, as a test because it was really expensive and he gave me tests but that was essentially that they turned the tennis ball machine onto full. so instead of one two now it was like doosh, 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 doosh. so I could capture every ball that was coming in there oh that's a good lead oh oh that's a good lead oh that's a good lead and then you you can't really see here but what I'm doing I'm cradling on my arm each time I catch it cradle it oh crap it cracks up. but when you get to 10 or 15 leads you can still catch every single lead that's coming in but then what do you do with it you put it in your arm well the ones that you caught three hours ago now as you cradle it they just start falling off and they start rolling away and then that really good lead that you were determined to come back to and follow up with like you did when you were only getting one or two a day now it's just rolled off into the distance and it's you know you try and call that tomorrow that leads dead so That was the time when I started the team. It's like, I've got so much business here. I need to, Ethan, you want to lead? And I was giving it to anybody in the brokerage. And obviously their motivation isn't the same when it's, I'm giving you some leads and they've got their own business. If we're trying to figure out what's what's a good split, like, hey, will you give me some money if I give you a lead? And they go, sure. They go off and then, they have a client their client they're going to focus on their client they're going to forget about that lead that we were sharing so there was no accountability there's no tracking so that's what started me with the team is like i need ethan to be on my team but i need to be able to see what ethan's doing every day i need to be able to see if he's actually calling those people and so i would get i got two three i started off with two people and then and then it just kept expanding and then because I would always reinvest back in the business i'm always looking for new lead sources and then i would get more leads so now i need more agents and then same thing when you've got 30 leads here but they're still coming in every day and i'm now you're up to now this now the agents are overloaded they're doing the same thing the leads are falling away so then you have to add more team members to be able to take that because at the end of month one you've got you know, 40 leads and the end of month two, you got 80 and then you compound that. And then it comes to a point where here's my other analogy. It's like spinning plates. So if you remember those old cabaret shows where they got a pole and they have a plate on the top that's spinning. So if the plate represents the client, if you can keep it spinning at hundred miles per hour, like then it, it stays perfectly level and then that's your client hundred miles per hour you've got if you've got five you can keep going around and keeping those that means you're touching base you're showing homes you're giving them some information some intel ethan you're doing fantastic you're doing so good i'm going to give you another 10. <laughs> so now you've gone from 5 to 15 well now it's a lot harder but now you're running around a little bit more but you you see some starting to wobble. Oh, let me get that one.
0: Yeah, you can't move your attention and your time around enough to keep it going. Yeah,
1: You're doing fantastic. I'm going to give you another 20 leads. And then now it's just like, yeah, you, all you do is you look to one. Oh, there's one that's wobbling over there. Let me go. Oh, dish, it's falling. Oh, dish, it's falling. So you just, you lose attention. You lose your capability or your capacity for all those leads, you have to figure out what that is. And so I I think we're now over the period of time, we figured 25 leads is probably the most that most people can do. Some people
0: are less and some people are more, but. And that's per day? No, per month. Okay, good. I was going to say that's a a lot of plates. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So accumulatively over that period of time. And then some, some months are less because you know, what happens five people all come in the same month and then you running yourself ragged showing properties and writing offers and so you can't really take more leads so you maybe your capacity goes. But that's down. been a
0: ratio that you've seen over the years like if we you know that that's that's yeah kind of dictates at some level the pace of hiring
1: and that's what that's why you need a team because once you see that that ethan's now got 50 leads he's just it's not not good for anybody so let's let's back off let's let ethan work then let's bring somebody else on Let's give some of those new leads to the to the new agents, so you expand. And uh, as just with it, as with anything, as the people in the team as they become more experienced, because I always say I, I can't guarantee you a closing in. Uh, I used to say in six months, but I can pretty much guarantee you closing in the first year. Now we've got people that join in now. We we call them boot camps. They come on, and then they're in there for. Literally two and a half weeks. So they're learning all the systems and processes. And by the time they come out of that, we've got them where they're just writing offers straight away because they have a pool of business that they can jump into. We call them orphan leads. They're, they're in ponds.
0: It's a follow-up boss thing. How long is the boot camp? And like, do you do it in cohorts? Or is it like a self-paced, you know, do the modules and sequence kind of a thing? No, no, it's,
1: it's, it's once a month. We're trying to figure out how we can do it Every every couple of weeks, but it, it's a it's a drain on our resources, as in we need people to actually physically teach that. I did a class yesterday for two and a half hours on on just working what we call the back end and the the relationship with follow up, boss, the back end, the leads that are all coming in. So it's it's a lot, and so we do that um, every every month, and it's about two and a half weeks, and obviously we. Want the agents to go out there that are a good representation of us as the as the company. So we want to make sure that they're educated, and knowledgeable, and they're writing strong offers. We also have a, um, a mentors program that so the so the mentors are doing this. So, but there's a lot to learn. If you want to, you know, when you get your real estate license, you've gone through your I think it's here, it's is two weeks. You get your part A, part B, then you go. St- take your state test and then you got your is it 30 hours, new affiliate license. But then you're essentially given a license to go wreak havoc. Um, if you don't know exactly what you're talking about. It mess out so anyway. the
0: other half of someone else's deal.
1: Exactly. So we have seen that where our, our agents are really like handholding the other person on the other side because they just don't have any support from their brokerage or they just they're an independent contractor, they have just gone out and writing offers and working with clients and they may be fantastic as personality-wise in terms of sales, but then if you don't have the fundamentals of actually knowing all the intricacies of the implied and expressed terms of a contract, then you're probably gonna run into some lawsuit issues and things like that. So we spend a lot of time making sure that the agents have we're really knowledgeable about that, which you know, I've always said, Oh, two and a half weeks is too long, but which part do we take out? Okay, so you want it to go out and they don't know anything about this? So over a period of time, we've realized, yeah, two about two, two and a half weeks is the amount of time that we spend um in our boot camp. So, and when they come out, I mean they're still you're always learning, you never stop learning, right? But when they come out, they're pretty knowledgeable. So then they're writing contracts pretty, pretty quickly. And then when they talk to the other people that they were getting the license with, you know, sometimes those people don't have deals for four or five, six months. And they're like, well, we have to do two a month or we're, we're on like the, the short list because we have standards. I'm going too much into this boat.
0: Hey, we'll get right back to this conversation in a matter of seconds, but I've got two quick things for you. First, thank you so much for listening to Real Estate Team OS. Our goal is to bring you a variety of stories, ideas, strategies, and hard-learned lessons to help you grow your business profitably. Second, if you've not yet signed up for weekly emails, you should do that. Just go to realestateteamos.com slash subscribe. You'll get email-exclusive insights and guest previews every week, subscriber-only episodes as they release, and instant access to two subscriber-only episodes immediately. Again, it's all at realestateteamos.com slash subscribe. Now, back to the episode.
1: Eventually, agents on the team are not really um, prospecting because we provide all of the leads and and we're not asking them to take a lead and then nurture it what we do when the leads come in the opportunities come into us you know somebody registers or they one of our business partners gives us an opportunity so those are the leads that come through the isa department the isa then scrubs those then they nurture them they figure out if this is somebody that's moving here in six months six years or they're they're moving they need a house next week so if you look at that like a relay race, and the and the client is the baton, the baton, the baton, when that comes to us, it goes straight to the ISAs, and then the ISAs essentially run a lap. Is this? I think this person needs to go straight to an agent. So then they just hand that off to the agent after one lap because this person wants to see homes tomorrow. They've they've gone through the qualification process, but in other circumstances that. ISA might take that lead and be running the lap for six months and then yeah. until they become ready and then, then hand it off. So from the agent's point of view, every time they get that baton, it's a qualified lead, they're ready to go. So they really should just run a lap, one more lap or two laps and then we just want the baton back to give that to contract to close because they're going to do everything else, which means now that agents. Written the contract, it's all accepted, all the work is going on behind them, and then the agents, right? On to the next, that's the next baton, let me go.
0: So, it's that's another good me. analogy, yeah.
1: That's the benefit of being on the team, and that's the benefit of being on our team that we give you opportunities, not just leads.
0: Yeah, you offered several good value props in there, including the, just the ramp time, like how quickly this boot camp gets people up to speed. Okay, I want you to tell me a story. That I that I was kind of a part of because I knew you at the time. I of course we weren't in like like close contact, but I'd see you a couple times a year. Um, so I remember this happening, but you know, in these conversations, I always like to uh, surface a key decision that had a major impact on your team building journey. Um, and something that we chatted about was when you were broker released and you had about 48 hours to figure out a path forward. Um, I think that was back around 2015, 2016. Yeah. Yeah. T- uh, set that story up a little bit, and talk a little bit about obviously the nature of the decision that you faced, the decision that you made, and how that went for you. Well,
1: I was I was a team team leader in a brokerage, Remax Elite back then. It was in Nashville, and I had fifth no seventy seventy three agents. Uh, Deborah Beagle was my managing broker. Uh, just at that time uh, because we had at some point there's a change in the way that people can name their teams I had been the Ashton real estate group of in this case Remax Elite for a long time when they when I was naming the team I there's a legal hotline here for the real estate it goes to um they can check everything make sure everything's good and I said everything good with my name and they said, yes, everything's fine. I said, fantastic. I'm going to call myself the Ashton Real Estate Group of Remax Elite. And then, about, I don't know, five years later, there's this whole movement like, you can't have real estate or group in the name of your real estate team. So I said, um, that's not right. But actually, I was just generically saying to Remax, hey, um, i we need to. I think I said Remax needs to do something about this because I am not changing the name of my team so we set up a, um, a different brokerage under the umbrella of the original brokerage so it actually was beneficial for me because we didn't have to change the office address I actually got a dedicated phone number that was mine so that all the calls that were coming in were actually coming into me so in my mind this was great now I was a Um, a brokerage within a brokerage. I needed a a managing broker and Deborah was part of the team and she had a, a broker's license and she was eminently qualified to be the managing broker. So she became the managing broker. And then the owner of that company then decided that they wanted to take over my team ostensibly. So I got broker-released, Debra got broker-released, and Johnny got broker-released. So that was taking away the leadership of the team, as it were. And um, yeah, Remax were a little horrified about that. So that brokerage doesn't exist anymore, by the way. So um, so then... Um,
0: and, and I'm sorry. So this was just a hostile takeover. Like, the you are released and together. we're absorbing all this team that you got uh, uh, essentially
1: that was the idea um oh i got a guest she wants to come and say hello yeah. this is adeline adeline's my assistant and she's eating ice cream <laughs> all right you good all right well so um of that team of 73 um 53 eventually came with me because they they were promised all sorts of things by this other broker. And um, they knew that, I don't know, that my promises were factual. I was going to provide them with opportunities and leads. This other if they stayed with the other company, then it was all talk, essentially. And then uh, I think. Yeah, we had 50, 53 stay out of the 70. Some of them were new agents, so they were just, I don't know, they were scared, so they they stayed with the, with the original brokerage. And then of those other ones, there's a few then asked to join maybe a few months later, but at that point it's too late, you know. Um, I'm terrible about having a long memory. And so now that other brokerage is out of business, and and we're the number one remax team in the world, but yeah, remax were a little horrified of that was going on. Um, and for and me, so what were
0: your options like in that moment? Yeah. Like, what were your options, and what was the timeline?
1: The timeline was that we had a meeting set for Wednesday uh, in the in the brokerage office, and then on. Tuesday night, I got an email. No, on Wednesday morning, I think we got the email saying your broker released. Tuesday night, I was kind of. There were some signs that the uh, lady that was the brokerage owner, she'd blocked me on Facebook. So, oh, I do. I remember calling the uh, the CEO of the region because it was it was a family-owned region back there, and I said, "This is not conducive to a good ba- business relationship." Those are my very words. And he said, yep, you're right. So that's when we kind of went down the path of let's get our own brokerage. But from, from their point of view, they didn't know if I was going to go to Kelly Williams, if I was going to go independent or if I was going to stay on the team. So, um,
0: Were any of those viable? Did you give those any consideration? I mean, obviously you started REMAX Advantage. Um, no, I
1: mean, I was kind of a popular kid, as it were. Like, oh, come, to, come play in our team. That would be fantastic. So, um, yeah, because we were, we were, I think we were, I can't remember what volume business we were doing back then. I always get it wrong. Deborah is the one that's really good with numbers. It, but it was, maybe it was 200,000, 200, 300,000, something like that. So, you know, season, sizable team. And, um, but for me, here's my another analogy. I was on a train called Remax and then really what was happening is there's there was there was, a, there was a I could see the rails were broken up ahead and then do I go left to independent into this big tunnel do I go right to Keller Williams or another another brand or do I stay straight ahead and hopefully we'd come out the other side and for me I'm I'm a train I've got carriages behind me and in the carriages are all the agents. So they're coming along and then I'm trying to see if I can keep them in the train. So if I go left to go independent, I'm gonna get people jumping out. Uh, no, I need to be part of a brand, Remax, I'm all Remax. If I go right to Keller Williams, Canada's the same thing, but if I stay on course and stay true with the Remax brand, which I've been part of since 2004, well identified, I knew that it was going to be a rocky road, and we'd have some people being thrown around in the back, kind of like those old um, Star Trek movies. You know, people running from one side to the other, you know, like getting hit by the Klingons. It'd be like that. But eventually, we want to be able to come out the other side, th- come out the tunnel. The smoke disappears, and then we can see. Oh, this, the the track ahead, the vision that's clear. We're going to go. We're going to go up to the mountains, and we're going to. We're going to soar, and that's what we did, you know. We kept, um, kept all, yeah, well, we kept 53 on board, essentially. And um, we have that alignment with the brand. Um, and went on to become the number one Remax team in the world. Five years running.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. How, um, how would you advise someone, like, let's just say someone has 48 days or 48 months to make a decision like this, you know, talk a little bit about, um, the different, it, it, I mean, obviously you were in a very, you know, you were on a moving train and there was danger ahead. You like, you had to make a, like, a quick decision. I, it makes so much sense. Um, yeah, had it, no it, it time. Like, you know, there wasn't, it
1: wasn't any time to make a decision. It wasn't like, well, let's sit down. Right. Let's, let's go look for a new office. Let's get this Alliance set up here. Let's do this now that we've got all that set up let's go in and talk to the managing broker and say hey we're leaving and at that point you you have a discussion and can they offer you more than you're getting elsewhere i didn't have that we didn't uh... (laughs) (laughs) that so
0: so you just opened the door to where i wanted to go which is like if a friend of yours uh was having this discussion they had 48 weeks to to kind of make a similar decision without the force of the decision they could they could just stay and there's no disruption whatsoever like what are some of the key factors i mean you just identified a scenario where perhaps you know someone comes to you with like a hey you know if you bring your team over here um you know we'll give you x and then you can bring that back to your broker and they're like well what if we can give you like 0.15 1.15 x or whatever um how do, how do you how would you advise someone to think about that scenario
1: i mean it depends for me it was like so i was originally with an, another big regional brokerage um there's two that was big big ones that cry like Pots big regional brokerages very well respected have good training good all that stuff but for me i needed more of a national presence because i was doing online lead generation um somebody coming from California or somebody coming from New York Chicago any of those they they didn't know who these big regionals were they didn't have any brand equity or awareness whereas the big ones when I this is oh, this is back in 2004 when I switched to Remax by the way it was so there was only pretty much Remax Coldwell Banker I think that were national keller williams was relatively new back then and i also needed something that was instantly recognizable because i think i told you i was doing a lot of online me generation and through nashville.com back then nashville.com was ranking for everything and then in the top right hand corner they had this spot for real estate and you could put your logo so nobody knew who gary ashton was nobody cares about me but if it had the Remax balloon as much as I'm not a massive fan of that balloon, that's not the first thing I would think of when coming up with a real estate logo. But it seems to have done pretty well. But it's instantly recognizable—red, white, and blue. It reinforces that perception. If I'm hey, I'm doing some research on moving to Nashville. Oh, really? I should look at real estate just to see what they've got. And then that, so that's why I switched to Remax because I needed that brand recognition. So. Depends what your motivation is. If you're, if you're trying to, I don't know, some, some brokerages do really well with really, they're focused on one or two areas of town. They become known as the experts for that. They're like boutique, usually high end, or it's um, there's a couple of areas in Nashville where people have kind of made themselves the, the specialty realtor in that area or brokerage so if if that's what you're looking for that would be good in that respect if you're looking for support looking for um, branding marketing all the the training that some of the big brokerages come with some of the networking that you can get because you know some of the big bigger brands like EXP and Remax and Coldbank they're going to have these big conferences which usually in Vegas unfortunately but that's, that's just where, where people like to go. But if you go, then you're gonna probably going to meet some of the realtors and then you're going to develop relationships with somebody in Chicago, somebody in California, and that becomes a good way of generating referral business. So that could be important to you. Um,
0: Especially, I mean, you you also made me think about the market. I'm thinking about markets where there maybe isn't so much inbound traffic. I mean, certainly Nashville has been – uh, bringing in people from all over the country, which is a really nice benefit. I'm sure there are folks listening who are in a market that doesn't have that characteristic where yeah. I like a really strong local or regional brand could still be super viable because you're not looking to, you know, create that instant trust through a recognized brand and a recognized logo um, for someone coming in from, you know, thousand miles, 2000 miles away.
1: And I think I told you right at the beginning, it's luck, vision, and money. So the reason I moved to Nashville was not for real estate. I'm a drummer. That's what brought me here. And I think I've I've said this before. You know, I'm pretty good. I played in the bands. We've we've done pretty well when I was back in England and playing around. So I thought I was good. Then when I came to Nashville, I realized, well, I'm good. But good grief, some of these people are absolutely phenomenal. So I knew within within a few days, I was like, yeah, you're not going to make any money doing uh, music, so better find something else to do. And we, me and my dad, had sold a mom and pop uh, motel on Clearwater Beach, so we had to do the 1031 exchange, reinvest that money, which is why I got my real estate license, because I just wanted to buy some investment properties, get the inside intel. If I'm going to, if they're going to make some commission, it might as well be me, kind of thing. So that's how I. That was the plan was to do. A little bit of real estate and it was going to be all music you know and then it that's when i flipped. realized
0: yeah, yeah
1: not, not that good
0: yeah. From a from a vision, luck, money perspective, what was your vision initially? I mean, you, you've already been very clear about the idea of, you know, you started getting good at generating leads um, primarily online and then, you know, over time layering on multiple different inbound channels. But like, what was your vision for this business? Like, did you set, like, when did it occur to you, I can be one of the, you know, biggest... My vision, I just want yeah. to be
1: the number one in the world. Number one, like when did
0: that vision occur to you?
1: When I was so, I remember seeing the top one hundred list for Remax teams, and I think the first time I was on it it was like ninety, and that's probably when I had maybe three or four people on the team. I was like, "Whoa, ninety! I'm on the list. Fantastic!" And then I kept each year get a little higher. Well, then you start having aspirations, well. I want to get into the top five if I can get into the top five and I was lucky because a couple of times some of the big teams left Remax so by default I got bumped up and I said oh this is fantastic I've just went from number nine to number seven woo! and then then it became within reach so not that that was the prime focus but then when you when you get to number one, and you can actually say you're number one in the world, that's that's pretty cool. So I don't have vision boards or anything like that. But maybe I have a mental vision board that I always wanted to be number one at something. And I was I always wanted to be, um, when you Google Nashville real estate, oh, my goal was to have 10 websites that are all different. They're all different personalities, as it were different. But they're all filtered back into me so we're kind of close to that because we're partnered with zillow partnered with realtor.com partnered with ojo which is my photo. my sites nashville's mls ranks really well in the organics nashvillerealestate.com which is my other url ranks really really well garyashton.com ranks really well tn real estate ranks really well so we've got lots of opportunities so i don't have 10 on one page, but we've definitely got three, three or four on one page. That's amazing progress
0: (laughs) against your original pay-per-click is like, I I have none of them. And so I need to, you know, pay to show up at the top. That's fantastic. Uh, One of the times we spoke recently, you said something like, and I could be misquoting you, um, teams are the new brokerages. Um, A, does that resonate with you? And B, break that down a little bit. Like, um, what does that statement mean to you? Yeah, well, I
1: think so. Teams have. I mean, it's not. I didn't say that. I think that's just common knowledge. Like me, Chris, and Justin I have I've had teams for a long time, and I think what we realize that we are we are doing what brokerages used to do when they first started, because maybe back in nineteen. 80, 85 or whatever in, in that or a brokerage would pr- the splits, the commission splits were different. So you you would either pay a fee or a high fee to be part of that brokerage or you pay a fairly sizable split. You might, might be on an 80, 20 or 75, 25 and 25% being retained by the brokerage. Well, the brokerage then has money then to reinvest back into the agents, which is then allows them to train agents, offer courses, which then means that they've got agents that are better trained and then go out and do better jobs and then actually expand their business. So it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, really, that the, the, the more that you invest back in the brokerage, the more the brokerage goes. But then there was this movement to, I don't know when it started, but for I think probably Remax might have been responsible for Um, They came up with this new model, it's 100% commission, but you pay higher higher fees. But then there was a change and then people were doing just really high splits like 99.1 or 95.5 and then obviously low office fees to attract more and more agents because they were trying to capture that peripheral business, which would be the, the mortgage and the title. So the brokerage almost became a lost leader. So then they're not really making any, enough money to reinvest back into the agents. This is my kind of thinking, but teams came along. So teams are under the brokerage and teams are responsible for generating leads, which is what brokerages didn't. Um, the teams are investing in advertising, all that stuff we talked about earlier on to generate leads that means they've got enough money then to reinvest in the business by going after new lead sources so that's generating more business for the agents, but they're also reinvesting in the agents by making sure that they've got good training because essentially you want the best, I'm not going to say workforce, but you want the best representation for when they go out and then they're writing contracts for you. You want those to be wow, this agent is so professional and so knowledgeable. So, well, you have to invest in that agent so that they can actually go out and be knowledgeable and, and aware of all the stuff that's going on in the market. So they have that added value that they bring in. Um, so teams have that um, ability to reinvest, I think. Um, so teams are the new brokerages. And, you know, that's my team is, 185 agents. So is that a team or is that a brokerage? So now there's this new phrase, the teamerage, which is essentially what we are because we're we've got a mega team. We got to the point where we can reinvest in the business, go after new lead sources, generate more business. Because the agents have already got 25 leads. Now we need new agents to be able to deal with these new lead sources that we've got. Also as time goes on agents become more and more knowledgeable they establish themselves as, as a, an old, a real estate authority as it were so their friends now start seeing that that I will use ethan ethan's on the team ethan's been on the team for three or four years and now ethan's doing really well now when you first start in real estate your friends are probably going to be saying ethan how's it going have you sold anything yet how's it going you know when you first First few oh, months of real estate, yeah. Yeah. but after after a few months on our team, you know, you can, we can see that you're actually selling. Then your friends are going to see that because they know you, Ethan, that was prior to this doing used car sales or was doing whatever another job. But all of a sudden now you're in real estate. So how does, Ethan doesn't know anything about real estate? But now they start seeing you. It's like the social proof because we're reinforcing the fact that. Congratulations, Ethan, salesperson of the month. And if you keep seeing that the friends, then next time they see you six months or a year later, hey, Ethan, how's the real estate market? How's it looking? So now their perception of you as Ethan that doesn't really know anything about real estate. Well, now they see you as the authority figure for real estate, and you're your you know your friends. So who are you going to talk to when you think about selling your house? two or three years down well ethan he's in the number one Remax team and well i'm going to go straight to ethan so that helps people on the team build up what we call personal business so i'm still generating business for the team so i need more and more agents so the longer your tenure on the team the probably probably the less you really need the leads that we're generating for you. But you use that as a safety net because, you know, sometimes you don't have any business from your friends. So you come back and you dip into taking leads from the team. Um, So that's the team keeps on growing. So that's, you know, that's how we got to 185. Started with two. Now we're at 185.
0: So go back to 2016. I assume that this teamerage that you have today where the entire brokerage is your team. It's been that way from day one. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. So someone is listening to this or watching this right now. Um, They're a solo agent. They're inside a brokerage. They may or may not be getting great support from their broker. Let's just kind of set that aside a little bit, although it's a factor. How would you advise someone to think about um, whether they should stay in as a solo agent, whether they should perhaps join a team or... Uh, whether they might have what it takes to start a team. Like, uh, and obviously leads are a big part of that. We've covered some of this ground already, but like, simplify it a little bit. Like, yeah, How do I you advise someone in that situation? Like, what is their best potential future? Or, or at least how should they think about it?
1: I mean, at the end of the day, this is a cliche, but you want to provide the best possible experience for your client. So to do that, you're probably going to need some peripheral support And the way that I always look at this is that the title company, the mortgage, the mover, the insurance, it's just economics that we get better service because when we say, hey, we need somebody to call this person back. Can you get them set up? Well, we're providing X number of clients a month. And then little Ethan over here has got one client. Hey, can you can you call my client who which client are going to call first? They're probably going to call mine because they want to reestablish or reinforce that relationship, the level of service, because the agent is the gatekeeper, really. So they want to make sure that we're happy. How do we make sure that I'm happy? Well, we want to make sure that my clients are happy. So they're going to jump on looking after our clients. And then they'll get to you, but they might be, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. And then, so you're not offering the best level of service to your clients, not because you're not a good agent, it's just because you don't have that support network in place. So that's why I think the teams leverage all that. It's economies of scale, you've got economies of lead generation that you probably couldn't have yourself. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a single agent and utilizing your own network, but if you want to grow your business, I mean, I'm obviously biased. I think that there's, there's more opportunities to do that with a team or, and then if you have aspirations, start your own team, but don't, don't just go, I'm going to be a team and then hire three agents because they're going to be sitting there twiddling their thumbs, you know, we can be really well-trained, but there's two sides to that story, you you can be really well trained, but you got to go out and actually have some business to act upon, so I I feel that the business comes first and then you make sure you get your team around you and then, like I was saying, you get some, you have more money to invest back in the team, make sure that they go on training, make sure you bring guest speakers in, make sure you're leveraging the, the opportunities that you have with your brokerage or your network. So that's the good thing about being part of a big brand. It's not just me. We have access outside of that too.
0: To, yeah, really uh, good. And I, I appreciate especially the decision-making filter of, you know, what is going to uh, allow you to support your clients the best because that's what it comes down to. And it just reminds me of where you were maybe 15 or 20 minutes ago, this idea that um, the brand reputation is built – Certainly within your your team and your your brokerage um, in the consistency, I've worked with four agents from that team and all of them are top shelf like that's what it's about. it's um it's building and reinforcing that reputation in the market in a very consistent manner and there are lots of ways to be successful doing it. but I agree with you that there are a number of uh, benefits um that are very unique to this and and teams are obviously very obviously and you know I'm just preaching to the choir here, uh, critical to the future of the industry. Um, Gary, this has been super fun. You've been really generous with your time. And before I let you go, um, I have a, I have a set of questions um, that I think you might enjoy, and I'm definitely going to enjoy hearing from you on them. So um, first uh, pair of questions, you only need to answer one is, what is your favorite team besides your own real estate team? Or what is the best team you've ever been a member of besides your own real estate team?
1: um well team would be soccer so that would be leeds leeds united and then team is a band you know the best i was in a band that we did really really well we opened up for um christopher and then went on to do tears so we were at a level that was pretty good so you had to have a good strong team in that unfortunately that team then fizzled out but when that team was working well we we were doing really well creating songs and performing well so i enjoyed all that so and love then, it. was that officer dibble it was officer dibble yeah
0: <laughs> i love it and and do you regard the bass and the drums as the core of the team the foundation the, the rhythm yes. section yeah
1: yes well <laughs> it, my other analogy that i like to use is like Pay-per-click or SEO, which one do you want to do? Well, both are fantastic, but SEO is, is takes longer because you're building a, a foundation that you're building your business on. So you've got to really dig deep down, put some iron pylons in, create a strong foundation, so you're building a house. PPC is like renting. You know, as long as you pay your, pay your rent, you can stay in that house, but as soon as you stop paying your rent, you're off. You're so, yeah so the the same thing with the band you got the the core of the band is the foundation which is the bass and the drums if that people can recognize that steve is a great singer or joe's a great singer they can recognize that richard is a terrible singer but they can't they don't really know the bass and drums if they're locking in but they instinctively know i don't i don't something i don't like about that band they know when singing, somebody's singing off key, but if the, if the timing's not great, they don't really know what it is, but they just know. That it's, but if the timing's good, they're going, that band was
0: fantastic. The single yeah. was pretty good, but the band was great. Love it. Foundation. Um, Gary, what is one of your most frivolous purchases? Or, <laughs> or what's a cheapskate habit that you've held on to, even though you probably don't need to?
1: <sighs> frivolous. Yeah, I've got a few though. So I like I like expensive watches. So I've got a Rolex. Here's my Apple Watch. Here's my Rolex. So why do I have two? I don't know. It's, the Rolex is just a. It's it's kind of like men's uh, jewelry. I think I don't know. I always yeah, like yeah. always like watches. Um, what was the other one? Oh, no, that's, that's
0: good. You only need to answer I, one.
1: I'll tell you my habit though, I love Waffle House. I could probably afford not to go to Waffle House, but I love it, it's fantastic. That's
0: it's good. a highlight. Cool, uh, last one. What are some of the ways you keep learning, growing and developing, or what are some of the ways you enjoy resting, relaxing and recharging? What does it look like for you to unplug?
1: Um, unplug, I just so I'm a big fan of documentaries. And I don't know why, but World War II documentaries, I I love that. So I don't really watch TV. I do. I have a subscription to Hulu for sports and things like that, but I don't really watch TV. But I do pay, I think it's 18 bucks a month for YouTube. Not YouTube TV, but YouTube. So you can pay so you don't have to deal with the ads. And then that to me is like the best source of entertainment ever it it knows what you like. So you start watching a YouTube documentary about World War II. I like World War II music documentaries and travel. Those are kind of the, the three that I like. And so what happens is YouTube has the algorithm where it goes, well, if you like that, what about this? And I go, oh, this is great. And the next thing you know, it's three o'clock in the morning. That's
0: how you say, next thing you know, the sun's coming up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've got to go to bed. So I, uh, I that's, Relax. And then traveling. Um, love to travel. Yeah. So uh, luckily, you can combine a little bit of that with real estate. So with conferences, as long as they're not in Vegas all the time. I like it when... So I'm going to California tomorrow for a, for a realtor.com conference. So that'd be nice. That'd be... Um, oh, where is it? Where are all the horses? are? Oh, can't remember. Just south of LA. Yeah. Can't remember. Anyway, so yeah, Travel. And I have an RV, a little RV, sprinter RV, which I like to take that out. And I just as an aside, I drove from um, Nashville to Anaheim for Disney, Disneyland. Wow. So girlfriend. That's a commitment. Was a girlfriend, two kids, actually now fiance, um, <coughs> and two kids and two dogs. And we drove from Nashville. It's a Sprinter van, so it's 25 foot long, not one of the massive ones. Um, But it was fantastic. And I enjoyed driving. I, I always say, look, yes, you can go from Nashville to L.A. and it's like four and a half hours. That's really easy. But along the way, there's some really interesting things. Now, would you fly to go see the Petrified Forest? I don't know, but if you go in and you're driving past it, well, let's take a little detour for an hour or two and go look at the petrified forest and um, let's go look at the Route 66 Museum. Would I fly to go see the Route 66 Museum? No. But if I'm driving past, well, that's, I, I mean, I kind of like all that stuff. And so... Yeah, and we went to the Grand Canyon. And yeah, you would probably fly to see the Grand Canyon. But it was along the way. And then yeah. driving yeah. through, going through... Um, where did we go through? I, just like one day it we was sunny, and then later on it was snowing, and went through all these different climatic areas. We went to Palm Springs, went up the mountain at Palm Springs, where you go through. It was snowing at the top. It was fantastic. 85 down the on the desert floor and i don't know 18 degrees up in the top. so so i enjoyed that that was that was fun and then having the audible listen to books when you're driving along was great
0: that's awesome i love it and uh i also like driving not all the time but some of the time for all the reasons you described congratulations by the way
1: oh thank you and your engagement (laughs) yeah Yeah, appreciate that And you
0: you offered um, a number of websites along the way, but for folks who've spent almost an hour with us, (laughs) where would you send them to learn more about you, connect with you, or learn more about your team?
1: If you Google Gary Ashton, uh, probably the number one site is either going to be Remax or GaryAshton.com. So if you go to GaryAshton.com from there, then there's links to all the other sites. But NashvilleRealEstate.com, garyashton.com the other ones are just too uh, it's too hard to like nashville's mls you'll get it wrong it's the worst url i ever got but that's the one that organically ranks i'm yeah, not sure it. why but it does so oh, nationalrealestate.com
0: cool i'll put that immediately adjacent to wherever, wherever folks are watching or listening gary i appreciate you i look forward to the next time i get to see you in person whether you drive there or fly there i always enjoy it and i appreciate you spending this hour with us
1: All right. I enjoyed it too. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you. Ciao.
0: Thanks for checking out this episode of Team OS. Get quick insights all the time by checking out Real Estate Team OS on Instagram
1: and on TikTok.